Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the highlights of the last Supreme Court session. We'll visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCenter.com, about current global affairs. And we'll visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books, 10 of them actually. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is July the 14th, and on this day in 1789, Parisian revolutionaries and mutinous troops stormed and dismantled the Bastille, a royal fortress and prison that had come to symbolize the tyranny of the Bourbon uh, monarchs. This dramatic action signaled the beginning of the French Revolution, a decade of political turmoil and terror in which King Louis XVI was overthrown, and tens of thousands of people, including the king and his wife, Marie Antoinette, were executed. By the summer of 1789, France was moving quickly towards revolution. Bernard René Jordan de Lunay, the military governor of the Bastille, uh, feared that his fortress would be a target for the revolutionaries, and so requested reinforcements. On July the 12th, royal authorities uh, transferred 250 barrels of gunpowder to the Bastille, and Lunay brought his men into a massive fortress and raised the two bridges, uh, drawbridges they were. At dawn on July the 14th, a great crowd armed with muskets, swords, and various makeshift weapons began to gather around the Bastille. Lunay's men were able to hold the mob back, but as more and more Parisians were converging on the Bastille, Lunet raised a white flag of surrender over the fortress. He and his men were taken into custody. The Bastille's gunpowder and cannons were seized, and seven prisoners were freed. Upon arriving at the Hotel de Ville, where Lunet was to be arrested and tried by a revolutionary council, he was instead pulled away by a mob and just murdered. The capture of the Bastille symbolized the end of an ancient regime, and provided the French Revolutionary cause an irresistible momentum. In 1792, the monarchy was abolished, and Louis and his wife, Marie Antoinette, were sent to the guillotine for treason in 1793. Uh, Bastille Day is today, July the 14th. A new study represents, a, by the way, speaking of Paris, a new study represents a splash of cold water in the face of John Kerry and Biden. Uh, and the White House officials trying to negotiate a new treaty to control climate change. Researchers from a university in China report that just over half of the world's urban greenhouse gas emissions come from just 25 megacities. The problem is that 23 of them are located in China. The exceptions are Moscow and Tokyo. And China is currently operating a stunning 1,058 coal-fired power plants, equal to more than half of the world's entire capacity. Urban Environmental Research uh, uh, University concludes, cities are reported to be responsible for more than 70% of the GHG uh, emissions, and they share a big responsibility for the decarbonization of the global economy. China will thus be hard-pressed to meet the pledge to cap carbon emissions by 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality by 2060, part of the commitment to the Paris Agreement. 
but the country has a long track record of violating treaties anyhow and failing to report accurate statistics, even in matters of life and death such as the Wuhan virus. Beijing has now all but publicly renounced the Paris Accord and admits it won't comply. So what's the sense of it? We've already signed up. That was one of the first things that uh, Joe Biden did in his presidency. China represents 14 of the worst 15 cities for total carbon emissions. All are Chinese. Carbon, uh, the uh, Paris Peace uh, uh, Accord, what a waste. little local news, uh, Collier County commissioners voted Tuesday night to reject an ordinance establishing Collier County as a Bill of Rights Sanctuary County after just six hours of public comment on the item. The ordinance failed by a vote of three to two. Commissioners Penny Taylor, Andy Solis, and Bert Saunders voted against adoption of the ordinance, while Commissioners Rick Locastro and Bill McDaniel voted in favor. Here's the ordinance. Collier County has the right to be free from the commanding hand of the federal government and has the right to refuse to cooperate with federal government officials in response to unconstitutional federal government measures and to proclaim a Bill of Rights sanctuary for law-abiding citizens in its cities and county. The ordinance reads, and they uh, didn't vote for it. That's unbelievable to me. It's kind of they they uh, took an oath of office to support the Constitution, but uh, <laughs> this is it's just nonsense. The commissioners who voted against the ordinance voted uh, voiced concerns of how and who would enforce it, as well as unintended consequences to attach to it. Well, here's the deal: if you see overreach on the part of the federal government, you use this ordinance as a way to protect its citizens from that overreach. That's how you use it. Well, anyhow, after commissioners voted against adopting the ordinance, Taylor introduced a resolution affirming the county's allegiance to the country and the Bill of Rights, and the resolution, which has no teeth and no meaning, uh, other than to just make everybody feel good, was passed unanimously by the commissioners. So that's what's happening in Guyer County, at least on the uh, county board commissioners. Well, President Joe Biden went up to... Uh, Pennsylvania, on Tuesday to advocate for the passage of the For the People Act and to slam voting integrity laws that have been passed over in state legislatures of many states. He also spoke out about the Democrats' mainstream media calling the big lie. And that, of course, would be that Trump won the election and so doing issued several major lies of his own. Now, he basically went up there, look, the momentum is so strong right now. These audits are going to show what really happened. And he's doing everything in his power to uh, save the skin, save, save his administration, because uh, even if, in fact, his election is not overturned, it's certainly hurting his credibility to see and get the news out of what's happening with these audits. The 21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting. We're going to challenge, and this is Biden speaking, we're going to challenge it vigorously, he said. While this broad assault against voting rights is not unprecedented, it's taking on a new and literally pernicious form. It's no longer just about who gets to vote or making it easier for people to vote or making it easier for eligible voters to vote. It's about who gets to count the vote and who gets to count whether or not your vote counted at all, said Biden. On the big lie, Biden said, all told, more than 150 Americans of every age, of every race, 
he meant 150 million, and every background exercised their right to vote. He, he listed many ways available for Americans to cast their votes, from absentee votes to drop box voting and early voting and more traditional method of showing up at the uh, designated poll place and casting a ballot. Election officials, the entire electoral system withstood unrelenting political attacks, physical threats, intimidation, and pressure. I think he's talking about the Democrats. They did so with, un he wasn't talking about them, but that's what, who was doing all this stuff. They did so with unyielding courage and faith in our democracy, he said. Biden said that the 2020 election was the most scrutinized in American history. Big lie there. There were no uh, or numerous recounts, audits, he, and he went through all the court cases and all that stuff. He said, it's all just a big lie. That's what he said. It's a big lie. He really said that. And in response to the belief that Trump lied about election fraud, Biden said that we're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. I'm not kidding. The Civil War, he said. It's not hyper hyperbole since the, uh, since the Civil War. He's re repeated this many times, and has, as his mouthpieces have in his administration. Confederates back then never breached the Capitol, as insurrectionists did on January 6th. Boy, he's, this narrative is just unbelievable. I'm not saying that this to, to alarm you. I'm saying this because you should be alarmed. I'm not saying this. There's good news. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be for real. We have the means. We just need the will, the will to save and strengthen our democracy. We just did this in 2020, the uh, battle for the soul of America. In that battle, people voted. Democracy prevailed. Our Constitution held. We have to do it again. Okay, so basically saying, please, please stop these audits. That's essentially what this message is. Biden said he had directed the Department of Justice to double the size of the new Enforcement Rights Division to challenge those odious laws in court. <clears throat> now he's talking about the uh, voting laws passed in various states, including uh, Florida. He claimed that the new voting integrity laws in Texas are voter intimidation laws. They want to make it so hard and inconvenient they hope people don't vote at all. That's what this is all about, he said. What nonsense. As such, he reiterated the claim that we're, uh, there's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote in fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, and who we are as Americans. But make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies, are threatening the very foundation of our country. I just take a step back. And isn't that what he's doing? He absolutely is peddling fear here, and he's using his rhetoric right now to try and stop justice moving forward because these audits, uh, every this should be a bar bipartisan issue. Everybody should want to see the results of the audits. We want to make sure we have free and fair elections. Joe Biden, going to Pennsylvania, trying to save his hide. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more. In fact, uh, download the app at choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. For our listeners that may not be familiar with the Cato Institute, maybe you could tell us about it. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato dot org. C-A-T-O dot org. So, Bob, uh, we'll take a little break from talking about our, our previous topic and about the judicial, the judges, and uh, take a look at the major cases from the latest Supreme Court term and uh, preview maybe what's coming up next term. For starters, what happened with the Obama case, Obamacare case? Well, a few years ago, well, Obamacare, first of all, involved, as you recall, a mandate that said you had to buy health insurance. Uh, about three years ago, that mandate was effectively neutered uh, because Congress set the penalty rate, if you didn't buy health insurance, to zero. And as a result... A number of Republican attorneys general sued. They argued that the entire Obamacare program was no longer constitutional. Since the rationale by Chief Justice Roberts for saying it was constitutional was an exercise of the taxing power, that is the 
assessment of this penalty. And since there was no more penalty, there was no more taxing power, and therefore there was no more uh, constitutional uh, rationale. So overturning that the entire act was, I think, charitably a long shot. And most legal experts noted that Congress, while it neutered the mandate, it didn't repeal the rest of the statute. Right. And that signaled that Obamacare could stand on its own without the mandate. The technical term is that the two provisions, that is, the Affordable Care Act on the one hand and the mandate on the other, they are severable. And that was the main question for the court, whether they were severable. But the, before the court could reach that question, it had to decide whether the attorneys general had standing to bring the suit. And that's the grounds on which they decided. Uh, Breyer wrote the opinion, it was 7-2, and they said the attorneys general didn't have any standing because they couldn't demonstrate injury. <clears throat> Why not? Because the mandate was no longer enforceable, so there was no injury. Uh, Lito and Gorsuch disagreed, but Obamacare was once again upheld despite it's obvious, at least to me, constitutional uh, infirmities. Yeah, and it's causing harm. I mean, the way Obamacare works, if you have this, <laughs> all these provisions in, in, in the type of insurance that you have that many people may not want. So anyhow, uh, but it, that's, that was their decision. Let's turn to the First yep. Amendment. Tell us about the high schooler who posted a Snapchat photo with her middle finger raised. Yeah, this was a case called... <clears throat> Excuse me, Mahoney Area School District in Pennsylvania. Uh, the high school suspended a student from cheerleading uh, for posting this photo, along with some other expressions, uh, beginning with the F word. So the the question was whether the public schools can suppress off campus speech mm -hmm. that they argued allegedly disrupts the school environment. So there was a case some fifty years ago called Kink. Tinkered v. Des Moines, where the court held that schools can discipline on-campus speech if it materially disrupts school functions. By the way, in that in that case, uh, the student wore an arm-bearing uh, band saying "F the war," and that was deemed to be non-disruptive. Uh, but nonetheless, if it had been disruptive, the uh, school could have regulated it. Well, this year the court held. Again, Breyer, 8 to 1, that the school's educational interests were not sufficient to overcome this student's interest in free expression, especially since it was off campus where any disruption was most unlikely. Interesting. Well, upholding our First Amendment rights. So there was another right. First Amendment uh, case as well involving campaign donations. What was the outcome? This was a pretty big case. Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Rodriguez. It challenged California's donor disclosure rules. Uh, interestingly, the NAACP, the ACLU, a lot of other progressive groups, joined by Cato and a number of groups on the right, we all filed amicus briefs against this law as a violation of First Amendment right of association. Hmm. And the court held along liberal conservative lines, Roberts wrote the opinion 6-3, compelled disclosure of these nonprofits, like the Cato Institute, violates the First Amendment. California said that its rules were designed to prevent fraud, but the record revealed, in the court's words, not a single concrete instance in which 
pre-investigation collection of donor information did anything to advance the Attorney General investigative or regulatory or enforcement uh, efforts. So this case may have implications for the pending bills HR1 and SR1 called the For the People Act because part of those bills requires donor disclosure. The court held that in this instance, donor disclosure would be a First Amendment violation. Hooray. That's good. That's yes, a good outcome. Uh, so the First Amendment covers religion as well as speech. What, what happened in the Catholic Social Services case in Philadelphia? This was Fulton versus Philadelphia, and the city <clears throat> had excluded Catholic Social Services from its foster care system because the Catholic organizations would not place children with same-sex couples. Hmm. So back in 1990, there was a case in Oregon called Employment Division versus Smith where the court held that a law banning narcotics, it was peyote in that case, was valid even when applied to an Indian tribe's use of peyote in a religious ceremony, as long as the law was generally applicable and not targeted at religion. But in this case, the court decided Roberts wrote the opinion, 9-zip, that Philadelphia's foster care contract was not generally applicable because he gave sole discretion to a city official to make the determination of who was to be excluded. And Philadelphia did not show that placement with Catholic social services would put city interests uh, at risk. Alito and Gorsuch and Thomas thought that it would be a good time to reconsider that old case, Employment Division versus Smith. But the majority wouldn't go that far, although I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, some revisitation of that case in the near future. Wow. Nine, did you say nine to nothing? That's nine zip, yeah. Wow. I understand there are three more religious freedom cases involving COVID. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, the first case, Roman Catholic Diocese v. Cuomo asked whether Cuomo's COVID restrictions unfairly targeted religious uh, institutions. And the court's conservatives, in this case excluding Roberts, so it was 5-4, said yes, church functions were being limited even more than comparable secular activities. Um, similarly, in the second case, which was called Tandon versus Newsom, California could not bar multiple families from worship in a private home because other non-religious activities were treated more leniently under the COVID restrictions. The state permitted more than three households, for example, at hair salons, retail stores, movie theaters, concerts, indoor restaurants, but not private worship in the home. So this was targeting religious. And in the third case, South Bay United Pentecostal versus Newsom, Roberts and the other five conservatives said that California could not bar indoor church services because of COVID, but the state could cap attendance at 25% of capacity and ban indoor singing and chanting. So sort of a spectrum of views here, but for the most part, coming down on the side of religious exercise rather than allowing the state 
to be too intrusive when it comes to COVID restrictions. And yeah, Bob, this is so interesting. I really, we should pick this up uh, next week and uh, talk about some of the other cases as well. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute, cato.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. As I mentioned before the break, he's an author. He's written several books, on mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's HistoryCentral.com, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. And I, I, as I understand it, you're back in Tel Aviv? Yes, I am. Wow. So uh, let it, let's pick up with uh, COVID because uh, I've heard that uh, there's been some uh, some uh, follow-up illnesses or something's going on in Tel Aviv or in uh, uh, Israel. It's going on in Israel that suddenly we went from zero cases in Israel to 750 cases yesterday. Wow. Um, and uh, at least half the cases are people who have been vaccinated. 
seems like the vaccination is, while effective, it's not. It's down to 60% effectiveness against infection. They still think it's 90-something percent effective against serious illness, but one of the problems with that number is it's a lagging indicator, so it's yeah. hard to know. Yeah. Uh, we, so we went from uh, 22 cases, uh, serious cases, uh, two weeks ago to I think it's 59 today and going up. Um, it's the Delta variant that seems to be breaking through, um, and there seems to be, um, although it's not completely clear evidence, that people who've had, got the vaccine first are more susceptible. So in other words, the vaccine's effectiveness seems to, to wane a little bit about the fifth or sixth month. Hmm. So they're talking about a booster, booster shot at this point. So are, are there differences among uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Moderna, and uh, Pfizer? In other words, is one more effective or uh, Moderna and, Fi- and Pfizer, again, have the highest effectiveness. J&J have a, a lower effectiveness, and that goes across the board. Um, so, um, and clearly what you need, it, if you only have had one shot of any of them, it's not nearly as effective against the Delta variant. Hmm. Um, so clearly Moderna and uh, Pfizer are the, are the preferred two, two um, doses to save yeah. in any case. Um, in the United States, the numbers have doubled in the last week. So it went from about 12,000 to 25,000 new cases. And, of course, there are large pockets of people who have not been vaccinated, and it's particularly bad in those states where the, where the vaccination is low because the um, Delta variant is much, much, much more uh, virulent in terms of spreading. And so if you have an unpopula- unvaccinated population, it spreads very, very fast. It doesn't spread as fast with vaccinated people because it doesn't infect everybody. It only affects one out of three uh, people uh, who have been unvaccinated, who have been vaccinated. So it it provides protection and slows down the spread. But if you have unvaccinated people, it spreads very, very rapidly. So help me so, understand the why the push to vaccinate people who have already experienced and had COVID. Okay, so the question that exists right now is. If you've had COVID, how strong are your, uh, are your um, personal ability to fight off the disease? How strong are your enzymes that it can do that? And it varies greatly. In Israel, the push is to give those people one, one dose of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the combination of the immunity created by having COVID and one dose of the vaccine are considered to be um, the perfect combination in terms of uh, putting off the disease. I mean, there have certainly been cases of people um, getting the disease a second time, and that was before the Delta variant. So uh, that's really where it, where it stands at the moment. Again, you know, one of the big problems we have, and we've had all the way through COVID, is everything is new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we're guesstimating what the effect of the Delta variant is. It's hard to know. Um, all I know is one case that, that uh, you know, came to light yesterday of a husband and wife, two people in their 80s. He got sick uh, two weeks ago. He thought it, they thought it was uh, just pneumonia. It turned out to be COVID. And his wife, a week later, got sick. Both of them had vaccinated, and both of them died yesterday. Mm. So, so sad. It's very real. Yeah. And um, the question is, you know, it's, it's a numbers game more than anything else. In Israel, they're very, very reluctant to put, to impose new impositions in terms of uh, people, they were talking about going back to what they call 
the green card, which is basically only allowing people into restaurants, etc., who have been fully vaccinated. Um, and, you know, they're just concerned about the bureaucracy involved in doing that. So they've been putting it off. But on the other hand, the numbers keep on rising. Yeah. Um, they, so... So interesting. It's a difficult it's just, situation it, again. It, does this uh, I, does this reflect the experience in, in other parts of the world? In other words, they, this it, it does in the sense that okay, so Israel is the most vaccinated country in the world. At least it was until recently. Um, it's now like number three. The reason it's number three, not number one, is because it has a large you know a large population of of young people. So if you have a large young people and you're not vaccinating them yet you'll have a lower percentage. But amongst adults, it's at about 90%. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, of course, in the areas where there have been no vaccinations, uh, COVID is breaking out very strongly. And all those places we thought got away without COVID, places like Vietnam and now Taiwan and Japan again. I mean, uh, Japan, of course, is not allowing any people in the stands for the Olympics. Yeah. So it'll be an Olympic stadium with nobody in the stadium, just the TV cameras. Yeah. Um, so all the areas that were not hit the first time seem to be being hit the second time. It seems to be ravaging all the way through Africa. We're not really hearing a lot about it, but it's taking place. And uh, the, this variant seems to be replacing all the other versions all over the world. And like I said, in the United States, it's resulted now in, in doubling the uh, number of infections in the past week. Uh, Las Vegas is coming back at a 10% positive rate. Uh, for COVID tests, which is very high. Mm. Okay, well, that's, so, uh, Mark, I really appreciate that uh, that input and in helping us understand what's happening around the globe with regard to COVID. Let's move to some of the other news because there's a lot of it, and let's, let's start off with Haiti. So Haiti, you know, Haiti is this long story of a country that has gone through various, you know, various revolutions and uh, regime change and Everything you can possibly think of that can go wrong in a country has gone wrong in Haiti over the years. Um, exactly why the president was assassinated is still up in the air. It was a bunch of mercenaries, it looks like, and led by an American Haitian looking to change the country. It's not at all clear. What is clear is the new Haitian government asked the United States uh, to send troops to, to guard its uh, you know, most important facilities. Uh, the Biden administration seems reluctant. Uh, and that's you know the general sense in the in, of the United States today is that we are not going to intervene or come to the aid various places in the world unless our direct security interests are at stake. Yeah, uh, that really you know, is a big question, right? The United States has has been the global policeman for since World War II. Uh, we took on that role because there was no one else to do it, and because we felt the reason we ended up in World War II was no one was playing that role. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but the Does problems the with the, it, the problems with Haiti they're they're so systemic and so deep. I mean, they don't they don't, uh, don't they don't have private protection of property, as I understand it. Uh, uh, individual freedoms. There's a lot of corruption and fraud, and uh, uh, I'm not sure sending troops there would do a lot of good. No, it's a big question, right? I mean, we're not talking about taking over the country. They've literally wanted troops to to guard certain key installations. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't have the answer to the question, and it's part of the bigger question that America has to ask itself, you know, what do we want America's role to be in the world? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a much bigger question, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then the question, that, you know, and then from making that discussion, you know, what are the implications of that in all sorts of ways? And unfortunately, no one's having that discussion. 
and we I think you and I have been discussing the the, the lack of this discussion for at least ten years. Yes. And I can remember discussing it during the Obama administration, during Trump, and now during Biden. So a long time we've been discussing the fact that there is no dis- no serious discussion. And by the way, uh, Mark has been a guest, a weekly guest on the show, I guess, for probably about 13 years or so. It's been a long time. So I really I think we're appreciate pushing 15, actually. Are we pushing 15? So it's so interesting. So uh, a similar situation occurs in Cuba right now. There's an uprising in Cuba. People are very unhappy with the lack of resources, food, inflation, uh, COVID uh, protection, and so forth. What are your thoughts? Well, it's historic what's taking place in Cuba. I do not think there's been something like this since the Cuban Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's historic in two separate ways. First of all, how broad it's been. In other words, it's not just in Havana or one or two sources. It's, I believe, in as many as 120 villages and towns throughout the country. So that's in itself historic. The people have had enough. They want a change in regime, the tide of the communist regime that has not fulfilled its promises, and they want democracy. And, um, you know, here's an interesting question. The regime is trying to put down the demonstrations. The people seem intent on on going ahead and and continuing to demonstrate and continuing to demand. Um, You know, we could see this government fall. Remember, it's not based on on the ideology, you know, like, I do not believe it's similar to to Iran, where you have a, a religious basis and religious, you know, ideologues and religious supporters. It's not similar to Syria, where you had a ethnic minority, the Alawites, who um, controlled the army. Um, here, the Cuban army is the Cuban people. Right. And um, we'll see. My I guess mean, is the uh, army won't shoot their own. That's what we have to see. I don't know enough about the Army and their training and who they are completely, but my guess is you're probably right. And I think this might be an historic moment in Cuba. It's interesting, though, there seems to be two separate views on on what America's policy should be. One says, you know, now is the time to strengthen sanctions, put more pressure, economic pressure, etc. The other is relieve the sanctions, uh, make it clear that, you know, that the false... Uh, idea that it's the American sanctions that's responsible. Uh, remove that that ability for the regime to say so, and they have to understand that it's the regime that's the problem, not the sanctions. Both the arguments are valid to mm-hmm. some extent. Yeah. And so I I don't really come down one way or the other on it, but it's an interesting you know discussion of what's the proper way to go forward at this point. So close. I mean, uh, Cuba is as big as Florida, bigger than Florida actually. So it's a it's and it's so close to to where we are right now, and so many people are in South Florida and in Miami and that area coming from Cuba. It's just really an interesting problem. So it has that connection as well. Right. Remember something else. We also need to keep in mind this. This affects both Haiti. It affects Cuba, and it affects you know Central America. If the United States doesn't want un um, you know hordes of immigrants trying to get into this country illegally. Uh, it's in our interest to stable to make sure that these countries are stabilized and doing well economically. Because whatever we might do on the border, it's very hard to stop if the, if the push is so strong. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we need to keep in mind is, you know, let's let's try to think in terms of how can we keep these people happy in the countries they live in as much as possible. Um, unless we decide we want a lot of immigrants. There is somebody who's written a book called One Billion Americans, uh, 
well-known columnist who says the United States needs to grow as opposed to the opposite field. You know, I, I agree with that. I think, I think the point of discussion is really around whether it's legal. Uh, we should have legal immigration, not illegal immigration. and we should. Well, also- I don't know. I mean, obviously the last administration cut legal administration, uh, immigration by 80%. So... I'm not saying I'm not uh, suggesting that's right. I, what I'm suggesting is that we should have, a, first of all, streamline the immigration process because right now it's very cumbersome and it doesn't work for immigrants even. Uh, and number two, it should uh, whatever happens, it should, people should obey the law. Right, absolutely. But we we need to have a. You know, I believe I agree with you. I believe that immigration has been America's secret weapon. It's certainly a secret demographic weapon, and it's the reason America kept on growing while the European countries. And Japan and now Korea have all become, and China now have become smaller. Right. So I think it's in America's interest. We again, but people have to have a discussion. Yeah, you're you're absolutely you know, right. One of, you know, we 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 are so big on symbols, on political slogans, and everything else, and we're so poor at having a serious discussion of what's good for America, what's good for people. You know, I, m- I might point out we are the salad ball, and for that reason, we ha- we can eat more easily solve our problem than, for example, the Chinese and the Japanese, uh, even the the South Koreans, because uh, they are more of a homogeneous society. Look, the best of the world always came to America. Yeah, and that's what we want to keep on. You know, we we want to encourage that to keep on happening. Yeah, you know, leaving everything else aside, and whether they're legal or illegal for two seconds, leaving your home, moving to a new place requires both courage and fortitude that is not found by the people who stay home. Right. Agree with that. So let's let's move. You mentioned Iran. Let's move to Iran and what's happening there. And it, uh, I want to actually talk about something that's not, I mean, it's Iran, but actually what happened in the United States today, um, that the Justice Department, what happened last night actually, the Justice Department indicted a whole bunch of Iranian agents for attempting or planning to kidnap from the United States an Iranian former citizen named Masila Alinjad, I hope I pronounced that right, who has been uh, working from the United States fomenting women's rights in Iran. And there was a liter- literally a plot, she I believe lives in Brooklyn, to lure her to the Brooklyn waterfront and then put her on a boat, sneak her out of the country and get her to Iran where they could put her on trial. Huh. And so, so four Iranian um, agents were indicted. Um, you know, they didn't catch them, obviously, but they were indicted and now wanted criminals in the United States for for an attempted uh, criminal plot to, to to kidnap an American citizen. That is such an interesting story, Mark. Um, that uh, so that there's that much fear of of uh, uh, outside voices in Iran and uh, trying to protect their way of life. And uh, <laughs> it's such an interesting story. No, it is indeed, and it shows the, you know, listen, the regime clearly has done that to all sorts of critics uh, and people who, um, you know, people who certainly don't, uh, in, in the real world, do not really threaten the regime, except they threaten the thought process of the regime, and the regime believes in thinking only one way, yeah. and uh, anything that goes the other way is a threat to the regime, and they're willing to kill anyone who disagrees. Um, and, you know, we need to remember whatever agreements we do do not come with this regime, uh, it's a really evil regime. 
Certainly is. Thank you for pointing that out, Mark. So let's let's move to uh, Taiwan. Uh, you seem to be an independent at one point, almost independent nation. Not not so much right now. Well, it still intends to be independent, and there <clears throat> lies in the problem, right? Yep. China is flexing its muscle. On the other hand, the United States has made it clear that uh, we will defend Taiwan's right to remain independent. And um, the Japanese, interestingly enough, issued a declaration today saying the issue of Taiwan is destabilizing the region. Hmm. And um, look, it's a real serious problem. Uh, resurgent China it managed to incorporate Hong Kong. Um, it's managed to expand its influence, and now it's looking at Taiwan and saying, you know, we want this as well. Um, I don't know what's going to be in terms of that. I, I think they will they will huff and puff, but I don't think they'll actually use military force to try to regain control. But we need to be aware that's a real possibility too. Are, yeah. we, ready, are we ready to go to war with China to defend Taiwan? So I mean, um, it kind of raises the the question about uh, the stability of the Chinese Communist Party there in China. It's such a small percentage of uh, the population, and I only raise that because I think that. You're right. I think it could be saber-rattling as opposed to uh, to uh, a real threat to the United States or to, to uh, Taiwan. Right. I mean, look, the Chinese government has had a strong uh, hold on the country. Uh, they've had this deal basically with the people. will will allow you to make rapid economic progress on a personal level. In return, you don't question the, the rules of the government. And that's pretty much been the case. I mean, recently we've had these interesting things where the Chinese government has cracked down on the big tech companies in, in China. I mean, they look at um, the head of Alibaba, so almost disappeared, basically. Yep. You know, and he's the greatest success story in the face of the tech world of China. Um, so they've been cracking down on these companies because they've gotten too much power. And so they want the economic success without anyone gaining any power except the Communist Party. So interesting. Again, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Mark, I really appreciate this uh, input and uh, your commentary and hear what's happening around the globe. Again, HistoryCentral.com, it's a multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you take a look at it. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thanks, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's also the author of many books. His latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. 
Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Barrell. As I mentioned before the break, he's an endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture. He's also the author of, I think, about 10 books. His latest is a terrific read, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Professor. And so uh, your latest Newsmax column, and by the way, for our listeners' benefits, you can go to Newsmax.com and just look for uh, Larry Bell's column, On Point. Latest one is Nothing Woke About the Toxic Indoctrination of Children. Professor, maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, Bob, um, we've had conversations in the past. I guess my analogy is that we're seeing a lot of... uh, neo-Marxism, and, and I don't use that term lightly, that's uh, really getting into our society, and we see it with, we see it in our media, and we see it certainly in the universities, and we see it in government, and uh, this critical race theory, and rewriting of history, and white fragility, and white supremacy, and all this kind of stuff, and it's, uh, it's in the entertainment industry, and so on. It's in the K through 12 schools, and uh, it's one thing when you have programs in the universities that that, uh, that push out this stuff. But uh, when, they, when you start with kindergarten and first graders and second graders and third graders, and you're you're, you're indoctrinating them that uh, you know they're products of a racist society, and uh, and into to emphasize that uh, you know we're a country born in slavery, and that you know it's in that they should uh, you know if if you're white you know you have white parents and you're you're Caucasian or whatever, or you're black, you're somehow identified by your skin color rather than your mm-hmm. your your uh, values and your capabilities and so on. So it's it's really insidious and. Uh, it's being promulgated by the major teachers' unions, and uh, I mentioned the article 
the National Education Association had a conference uh, very recently and and really uh, um, authorized this, endorsed this theory to be taught in in the schools and uh, and parents really need to pay attention. It's scary stuff, and uh, it's you know we've actually here in, in uh, Florida, the governor said there. <laughs> He said, quote, something to this effect, we're not going to teach that crap in Florida. <laughs> and so, yeah. and, uh, but irrespective, I mean, the textbooks and stuff just kind of creeps in, and, and some teachers are committed to making sure that somehow, some way, uh, that uh, this stuff is going to be taught. And uh, again, with the backing of the National Education Association, a teacher's largest union, I think, in the United States, they're saying that they plan on supporting the teaching of this stuff. Well, that's true, and um, we see, I think we see endorsements, you know, the, the NEA and the teachers' unions have a great deal of influence over the Democrat Party, it's just a fact, they, you mentioned their size, and of course they have lots of, uh, lots of money, and they, they, and they use it politically, and uh, we see on one hand where the schools have been closed by the unions this past, you know, past period with the covid at the same time, the teachers' unions are demanding more money, but their the teachers are staying home. And then they're in this indoctrination, this terrible, terrible stuff that they're introducing in innocent young minds. It's just, it's just, just absolutely horrendous. I think COVID was partly responsible for exposing us because parents were beginning to see what their, what their children were learning online. And I think that was part of it that 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 sort of uh, quote awakened uh, a lot of the parents. But uh, states are beginning to push back on this, and and then some of the blue states are pushing for it. You know, and it's becoming kind of a defining theme, I think, of our time, where this Marxism stuff is is really uh, you know out in the open now and. And how's that working out in, in Cuba right now? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I just take a look at what's happening uh, in the Democrat Party as well as in our schools. It's almost like they're in lockstep, marching in the same direction. Uh, this administration right now, in my opinion, is, is strictly it really working to consolidate power and to take us, make us a communist nation. And so many young people today, I know in college, you know, I think, Depends a lot on what fields are. I think when you're in the engineering fields and other technical fields and so on, people are students. I know I, I, you know, I still have graduate students in space architecture, and which is the joy of my life. I love working with them and knowing them, and so you know they're 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 busy concentrating on on how to make things and do things and so on. But then there's there's other fields where I think there's a great deal of uh, ideology that goes into the programs, and you see these, and I think now in law schools, but also you know clearly in, in the social sciences and so on, and and uh, young people today, so many I think don't understand what Marxism is, and they don't understand what free markets are, and and uh, when the schools are really a war front, I think for for fighting for American values, and uh, and unfortunately, people get tenured, and then they bring in other people that are equally woke, and 
I see it taking over. I, I'm very concerned that we're moving from a meritocracy where, where diligence and intelligence and effort work and ethics and so on to a matrixocracy where you fill in the blank and you need to have appointments according to skin color and ethnicity and gender and, and so on. And, and I understand wanting fairness, but there's a big difference between equity, which means everybody gets the same result, and equality, which means everybody has the same opportunity. And, and uh, that distinction, which is very crucial, is being lost. Uh, it, that is uh, at the foundation of the American experience is to have equality of opportunity. You know, you cited a couple things, and if you don't mind, I'm going to just take uh, mention them to our listeners right now. Uh, in your column, you say third graders in Cupertino, California, were instructed to deconstruct. Now, this is third graders deconstruct their racial and sexual identities, then rank themselves according to their power and privilege. I'm not kidding. That really happened. It's pointed out in your column. Tanner Cross, a Loudoun County, Virginia public school teacher, was placed on suspension following his refusal to t uh, support a proposed school board policy to affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa. That's scary stuff, Professor. Well, it is, it is scary stuff. And I think in this country, uh, what, you know, we all basically want the same thing. We want we want to be able to raise our families in, in, in safe neighborhoods and, and be safe and teach values of our children and, and have them believe, I think properly so, that when they really apply themselves and, and, yes, compete and not just get a participation trophy, but they actually accomplish things and, and take satisfaction when they accomplish things and move forward and, and, and so on. I think that that to instill those kinds of thoughts in our children is very, very important. And what we're seeing is very, very destructive. It's saying, oh, you're, you know, you're a victim. You really can't get ahead because this other person has a different skin color and, and we have this systemic racism and systemic white supremacy in our society and, and uh, the solution is to, is to march and protest and be activists. It's so destructive, and it's it's destroying the most precious asset and resource we have in this country, which is which is our children. And and Lenin said, you know, give me give me a child, and you give me four years, and and I'll change the child, and and give me a child, and I'll, I'll change the you know change the world. And 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 there's so much there's so much truth in that. You know, we, you think of how important these early memories and these early imprinting experiences are on children, and and I, I'm, I hate to think what uh, what this is doing to future generations. It's so true, Professor. I really appreciate uh, your pointing this out, and this conversation is so important. I do want to refer our listeners to Newsmax.com and your column, On Point, uh, Nothing Woke About the Toxic Indoctrination of Our Children. Also, great uh, book, latest book, uh, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to visit with our U.S. Representative, Byron Donalds, 
We're going to visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>